So there's two unpopular opinions. Yeah, yeah. But Passion of the Christ, I fully believe, uh, has been turned into propaganda filmmaking. Um, and it's not necessarily worth watching. Hmm. All right. Well, hello there, you little crits, and welcome to another episode of The Critical Millennial. I'm your host, Kyle Cryan, joined by... Alex Holtz. As always, you get the drill by now. Yeah, you get it. Yeah. But if you're new to the podcast, hello. Hello. Be sure welcome. to follow us over on Twitter at The Critical Millennial. You could follow us on Instagram, but we've never really used it. Just go to Twitter. Just go to Twitter. Yeah. Uh, we have some laughs over there. Yes, we do. And some tears. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly I make fun of Alex. And Blade Runner. And Blade Runner. Hey, you know what? Every movie ends up in the $5 bin of You're Walmart. right. You're right. That's so true. Yeah. Well, on today's episode, we got a couple more shout outs for you. Uh, I got a book recommendation. Alex has a book recommendation and a TV show TV recommendation. TV show, yep. And then we're going to talk briefly about The Invisible Man uh, in theaters now and how it messed the both of us up. Yep. And then I've got a severely unpopular opinion. Yeah. I'm warranted, though. It is, I hope. Yeah. We don't know. All that and so much more on this episode of The Critical Millennial. Oh my gosh, The Critical Millennial. (laughs) She goes, did you see my tweet? Like that's the first thing she said when she walked in the door. (laughs) In case you're wondering that tweet that Alex just mentioned. (laughs) was from his wife Sydney after I tweeted to Alex about Blade Runner 2049 being in the $5 bin like next to like Adam Sandler's grown ups and stuff and I was like every movie ends up in the $5 bin and Sydney Alex's wife responds no only bad movies do got wrecked any chance she can get to destroy that movie your wife just she straight up wrecked you on the internet man it's not the first time either. It's not. Won't oh be the last. All right, we've come to the segment of the podcast where we will be doing some quick shout-outs to um, just some media that we're currently enjoying. Um, but for me, my shout-out's a little longer because I just have one right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a book that just came out late last year, early this year, I can't remember. Um, but it is called Joy in the Sorrow. Uh, written by Matt Chandler and Friends. So when it says and Friends, it means um, members of his church, the Village Church uh, down in Flower Mound, Texas. And the book is all about like sorrows of members of his church, whether it is one of the chapters that was most impactful to my heart, even though I'm not married, was about a couple that gave birth to a stillborn baby. Mm. And the chapter is called We Named Her Kate. Mm. And like that chapter... I'm not married, and I have no desire to have kids ever at all in my life. Mm-hmm. But, like, that chapter really got to me. Um, and, and there's, on page 87 of the book, the author of the chapter says that, I wanted God to be powerful in my eyes and revive my daughter. Instead, he was powerful in my heart and revived my soul. Mm. Wow. And, like... That sentence has stuck with me. I finished this book last week, but I read this like the first day upon reading this book. And it melted right into my soul because like going through some hard life stuff right now and that I just want the Lord to just take it all away. But realizing that he's in the business of reviving my soul. Mm. And then he quotes Psalm 22 uh, verses 2 through 3 where he says, Oh my God, I cry by day. But you do not answer and by night but I find no rest yet you are holy mm. and like and that's just one chapter and then after every chapter Matt Chandler has interspersed um, quotes from his vlog through when he was going through his treatments for chemo and his uh. journal entries so throughout the book we're following Chandler's journey through his first like year yeah year two years of treatments of radiation and chemotherapy and all these things mm. and like the last two chapters are written by lauren and matt okay chandler and one is like joy and through a husband's brain tumor mm. and the last one is like the surgery of the spirit and it's matt chandler but then i wanted to put uh read um 
one uh, from Tadashi and Danielle Anderson. They write a chapter about their oh, son's cool. death. Um, their like one-year-old son's death. And he quotes Lewis, um, C.S. Lewis, where he says, We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon, insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And like Tadashi is writing that out of a place where his son has died, his one-year-old son died, hmm. and how the Lord transformed him in that. And then I wanted to read where was it? Where was it? There's um I dog-eared all these pages that I wanted to read because this book, this book, I've recommended it to so many people already. Um, yeah, and this one, this one from chapter three in the book is Joy and the Sorrow of a Wife's Death. And like this, this guy, his name's Guy, and he writes that the life that I once knew and loved deeply no longer existed. And that is the sting of suffering. In the disorientation left in its wake, nothing feels certain. But then he goes on to say in that chapter that there is certainty and suffering through God and that through suffering, God calls us out of our own little lives and their dreams and hopes and concerns to transcend earthly things and know him. Wow. And he, in that, in that chapter, he writes about how his wife was an earthly thing. Hmm. Like, she's in heaven, she's with God now, but his marriage was an earthly thing. Oh, yeah. That he put too much hope and treasure in. Yeah. And, like, this book, Joy in the Sorrow, has radically been used by God to radically, at my depths and at my core reshape how I view suffering wow. and why we suffer and it's made me not ask why me but why not me Yeah, like when I think about all the suffering or the hardships I'm going through and then I compare that to like well if I didn't have Jesus or I think about my co-workers that don't know the Lord and if they were to go through things I'm going through man where is their hope Oh yeah. and so like why not me then yeah because I know the hope of the Lord and I have that certainty of salvation and sanctification in heaven and glory in Jesus. Yeah. So why not me? Mm. And like still going through it, still trying to find the joy and the sorrow, but Matt Chandler's joy and the sorrow. If you read one book outside of scripture this year, I implore you to it for it to be that. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. What are your shout outs? Yeah. So for me, um, I'm going to do two quick ones, actually. One I forgot to mention um, when we were talking about this before. One book, I'm going to mention two sentences about it because I can almost guarantee you that nobody cares about this book. So, I can. Oh, thank you. Thank I you. Care. Thank you. <laughs> yes. um, I care. It's called Who's Tampering with the Trinity? And it's by Miller J. Erickson. And what this book is basically about is the... Sorry, I'm laughing. Kyle's losing it. Because <laughs> it's... it's a tampering with the trinity it's like curling the mustache or something <laughs> it sounds like a dr seuss book <laughs> one so, trinity yeah, two laughing. trinity three trinity more <laughs> oh my goodness well that's the this book's exciting not <laughs> nearly a bore <laughs> it's about the most excitement you're gonna get out of this book so <laughs> but um it's basically about the if you've heard of it, it's called the subordination debate, and it's whether the son is less than the father, and it's basically how that debate has impacted the way the church functions. A whole book about that? Yeah, because it's been going on for... since. Has no one the, read the book of John? The Council of Nicaea. I know, I know. Jeez. Anyway, so that's all I'm saying about that. Um, another reco, real quick. Reco? Reco, that's what I'm calling them. are you? I know, right? <laughs> um, I started watching The Outsider on HBO. And it's a Stephen King story, but it's a TV show. And if you struggle with, like, depression or, like, any sort of dark thoughts and anything like that, do not watch this show. But if you don't, like, if that's not a struggle that you face, this show is extremely scary and un unsettling. And I'm only four episodes in out of the ten. It's Jeez. real good. So, and I don't know what's going to happen, so that's all I'm going to say about that. My big reco for today is... <laughs> I can't. I'm, I have to shout out the Reformed Gamers, because that's what they call it. So. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's where, they get it. That's, where they, that's where I get it from. Um, the big one that I just finished recently, which I really, really liked. They're was, not doing another season. I know, and I'm glad. 
Oh. Yeah. The, it was Watchmen. Mm. It was so good. This this show, like, it. so I, if you listen to the previous podcast, I talk about how much I love the movie and how much I love the Zack Snyder film. But this one pulls from the comic rather than the movie, which has a different ending than the movie did. And I think the comic book ending works better. And when they play it into this, they actually play into the the giant psychic squid that they that comes and attacks New York at the end of the comic. And it sounds really dumb, but when they put it in the show, it ultimately has like this huge impact on the way people like respond to the world. There's even one character that struggles with PTSD because of the squid and you have to watch him like work through all of this like trauma that he's feeling. Really good. But the overarching theme of the show is ultimately about racism and what a race looks like in our world today and it's put forth with masks instead. So the in this world the police are allowed to wear masks to hide their identity, almost like a superhero would. They can give themselves superhero names and things like that. Mm. And when they wear these masks is ultimately to protect their identity so that when they're going out doing their vigilantism or their police work, whatever you want to call it, people don't know who it is that's doing it and they can't put their families in danger. Because there was a group before that was like basically the KKK that was going around just killing police because the police were stopping them from doing what they wanted to do. And it's all about the response of like, how is this right for the police to be hiding their identity? Like is, uh, are the police actually like racist or not? Like, are they part of the KKK? Do they just enable what they do? Interesting. I'm not going to say anymore cause I really think that it's watchable and Kyle said it, that there's not going to be a, another season. And I'm so glad that there's not because the way that this show ends is exactly how the comic ends in a way that's like there shouldn't be any sequels. There doesn't need to be for it to be supported. It's just good. How was the the lead woman? She was awesome. What was her name? I saw it every time in the credits. I know. Um, but she was, she was amazing. She was by far the best part uh, as well as... Um, the guy that plays um, Looking Glass, he's from. Uh, he plays supporting roles in a lot of other movies, um, but he was really good too. But the main lead, she was, she was by far the best part. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a high recommendation. Even if you've never read or seen Watchmen, it still holds weight. So interesting. Yeah. Yep. So those are some three recommendations for you guys to enjoy some new media. Uh, Matt Chandler's Join the Sorrow. Uh, who's messing with the Trinity? <laughs> Who's tampering? Tampering. Yes, to be T and T. You know, tampering Trinity. Uh, so. It's a Baptist book for sure. <laughs> and then Watchmen on HBO. And if you don't have an HBO subscription, you could probably buy it from like a Target or Amazon for like yeah. ten bucks, rent it or something. Yeah, it's not on DVD or anything yet, but you can rent it on Amazon. So. Oh yeah, yeah, probably worth a rent. Oh, like, big ten time. episodes. Uh, nine. Yeah. Nine hour long episodes. Yep, each one's exactly hour. your time. It's not bad. Worth it. the director of 2018's Upgrade, a film that if you haven't seen, you should probably see. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, It also, fun fact, made me almost pass out in the theater because it's (laughs) so violent. It is very violent. But it's an ingenious idea with a lot of real-world application as well as some good biblical context for vengeance and revenge. Yeah, it's really good. His newest film, The Invisible Man, I've openly made fun of Mm -hmm. because... They cut a horrible trailer that yeah. made it just look like some sort of ex-revenge, silly, non, non-anything non entity. Yeah. This film messed me up. <laughs> Lee Whannell <laughs> has this way of making you afraid of an empty room. Like oh, the yeah. the camera's sitting and looking at nothing, but you, you, that was a lot. Oh, yeah. And, like, we'll get into it, but I think he has... In the same way that Ari Aster we've talked about has something up with faith and religion, like he's he, something happened to him mm-hmm. with women as well, and like right. why he treats women the way he does in his films. I think Lee Wanell, who starred in, not starred in, had a role in Saw, the yes. first original song, yeah, wrote I think some he wrote of that. It, yeah. He has a problem with 
vengeance. Oh, yeah. And revenge. Mm-hmm. I think there's something in his life that he wants to have revenge at. Yeah. Or take vengeance out on. Um, based on his two solo films. Yeah, really. But, like, film, as a film, Alex, what about this did you enjoy? Um, I thought the... I thought the cinematography was awesome. Like, I thought it was going to be really cheesy, some of those shots. Like, you see the one in the trailer where, like, the oven, like, starts up, like, and it's the lone camera just sitting in a locked position. Yeah. And, like, the fire in the stove starts. It's like, oh, that... Or, like, the hand on the glass. Right. She's taking a shower. Yeah, I was like, ah, that just might be a little... uh." Mm -hmm. It wasn't, like... He does slow panning a lot, which just gives you this eerie feeling of, like, am I... Is he following... Like, is the camera following somebody that's walking down the hall? Right. Or is he not? Right. It's awesome. Like, I'm actually... I was thoroughly impressed with that. He used some of the same things that he does in Upgrade, where the camera, like, will follow somebody's face as they're, like, falling and, like, getting back up and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. It was awesome. There's a one. There's one scene in the movie where it's one shot, and it's. I was thoroughly impressed by it. Um, the acting was good. I. That's one of the things I wasn't blown away with. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily blown away by the acting. Yeah. but it was. It wasn't terrible. It was definitely above average. Oh yeah, hundred percent superior acting. But yeah, yeah, not... yeah. And I just thought the concept of it of this Invisible Man, like this, is obviously a remake. Of a concept, not of the same movie, but of a concept of an mm-hmm. older movie, of this making it in 2020, I thought it worked pretty well. I did too. Yeah. And ultimately, the big goal, I was scared by the end of this movie. Well, by the beginning of the third act. I was scared. I was like, I am extremely unsettled and uncomfortable with what is happening on screen. Mm-hmm. And there are not many movies that can do that much anymore, because yeah. I watch a lot of crap horror. You so, do. Yeah. You really do. So... I was. <laughs> We're on the opposite ends of horror. Like, oh yeah. I will only really watch a horror film if I know that it is, <laughs> like an art house premiere horror <laughs> film, and this guy over here is gonna sit and. I saw the, the Grudge. Trash. Yeah, <laughs> I saw the new Grudge. So you're, that says anything. you're like a raccoon when it comes to horror films. Yeah, I'll eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll pass it to you, Kyle. What about you? Would you like? I really enjoyed the the concept. I think that as I think about it, the concept and the way that it was pulled into modern technology and modern time and like potentially where technology could go, I think it worked super, super well. I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the storylines with Elizabeth Moss's character as she, with the other characters. There was no one that felt like a less than character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Like she's the main, main character. But everyone else felt just as important because the and, and I enjoyed the scale of the film. Yeah. It was tiny. It was. It was like the guy that the guy and his daughter that Elizabeth Moss's character moves in with yeah. upon escaping her abusive boyfriend mm-hmm. in his mansion, that beautiful house. Yeah, that was awesome. And then the only other places we see are like an office for a scene, a dinner yeah, for a scene. Briefly. Like it's or like in cars yeah so this film is very tiny i enjoyed the scale a lot because so often we see films try to go to these big scale things Mm -hmm. but what lee Wanell works well with is scale yeah which makes good scares mm -hmm. Uh, it really does yeah and so like he keeps everything small and like you tweeted out about like how you're gonna put coffee grounds (laughs) on your floor like that that was like I was sitting there and I was just like silent tears most of the movie just like scared out of my brain because mm-hmm. like this like not being able to like see your attacker yeah. or see yeah. your abuser or know where they are like that's a real world thing that a lot of people like unfortunately have to deal with yeah. is just not knowing where your abuser is right or, or like not being able to see them right and that's horrific oh totally and I think that Wanell played into that and, like, not in a... He did it in a tasteful way. Yes. This film was never about showmanship. This film was not about, you know, does Elizabeth Moss's character deserve what happened to her? Like, does she does she oh, deserve yeah. this? No, it was always just about tasteful and, and real-world stakes of, like, this woman's going through something traumatic. This guy's a butthead. Mm-hmm. And, like... Her... Her, her ex... Her ex? He's more than a butthead. More than a butthead. Yeah. And like, but it and it just and it just goes to show that like, you know, we need to believe people when they're saying traumatic things. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's part of it too. But then, um, so those are the things I really enjoyed. I think I enjoyed most was the scale of the film. Yeah, yeah. And how tastefully done something that could have been taken to realms of gross proportion. Mm -hmm. Um, This was done tastefully, it was done well, and it was done with respect. Oh, totally. Not not respect to the IP, the intelligent property, intellectual property, but with respect to like, there are people in life who really are going through this right now, Mm -hmm. and we're not going to, we're not going to sell them out to sell a film. Yeah. We're going, and and it was just done so tastefully and respectfully. I agree. That was one of my big thoughts, and I told Sydney this as we were leaving the theater, was like, this, I think, gives... In, in a science fiction way, the mm-hmm. most real understanding of what it looks like for somebody that's experienced trauma through abuse to have to suffer in, and figure out like that you are safe, but to constantly be plagued with the thoughts mm-hmm. of, I'm not safe. I, like, right. You constantly are telling yourself you're not right. safe. And it do, it's like you said, it's done mm-hmm. in a tasteful way. That's like a there's, way a scene, there's a scene where... Elizabeth Moss, her character, and the guy that she's staying with, him and his daughter. He has a daughter, Mm -hmm. and he's a cop, and she's staying with them. And she's been there for a couple weeks, and she's looking out the window. He goes, hey, remember our deal? And all she has to do is leave the house to go get the mail. Yep. And she couldn't do it. Yeah. She tries, and she's almost at the mailbox. And then she has her back towards the bottom of the hill, because they live on a hill, and she hears someone running. Like, someone's just on a jog, Mm -hmm. living their life not out to hurt her. She has a panic attack. Yeah, yeah. She, like, thinks that her boyfriend is coming to just rush at her, and she flees and runs inside and is crying and is, like, she can't breathe well. And, like, that that scene alone, if that was a short film, mm-hmm. the respect given to people oh, yeah. who struggle, immense. I, like, I was very thankful for that. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there anything in this movie that you weren't a fan of or you thought was like not the done ending. tastefully? Yeah. I don't, I do not agree or think the last like five minutes are, are, are okay. Like healthy? Healthy. Yeah, I, I agree. Do not, I, agree. I do not yeah. think, that's a good way to put it. I do not think the last five minutes of this movie are healthy yep. for anyone struggling with what her character struggled with. I agree. At all. It, it becomes a little bit, uh, just like you said, vengeance flick. Like mm-hmm. if they if they would have taken it in a different direction, I think it would have been better. Yeah, and I think it would have shown a little bit more healthy, like an acceptance and maybe a mm-hmm. forgiveness, because I think mm-hmm. that ultimately tortures somebody more. Yeah. But in the end, yeah, I think that. But not that that's the goal. But yeah. I think that's ultimately would have been the better response. I'm not gonna spoil. I'm not gonna say exactly. Yeah, what I don't want to spoil this one because it's. Not only is it a new film, but also I think that there is Mm -hmm. a journey that needs to be taken with her character and with everyone in the film. I agree. Um, Something else I didn't really quite enjoy um, was just the the actress who plays the sister was the weakest acting point. Like, her character was... All the characters are meaningful. Right. Like, every character has a reason for what they're doing. Right. Um, I just think that the actress portraying her sister... Could have brought more to the table, and that was the other thing I was gonna say. If we're if I if we're bouncing back real quick to movie as a movie, like I was, there were times like she was just talking, and I looked over at Sid and I was like, dang, like, she kind of sucks. Like, <laughs> and it might have just been the acting, or it might have been the writing. I don't know. And there's one scene in the movie I'm not gonna say what it is that just really I was like, this movie's doing so well. But if there was even one security camera in that room, or if there was even one person looking at the uh, at what was happening, right, it would have. That's sh- when they they're when they're fine. out to eat, right? yes. Mm-hmm. And like, if oh, I, I don't want, I can't say this because we have no, it's so new. But if if the downfall wasn't security cameras, or like if there wasn't some, if there wasn't discussion about that before, I would have been like, okay, that's passable. Right. But there was discussion right. about it later. Mm-hmm. And it just, I, was, I looked at Sydney, I was like, that didn't hold the weight it probably no, should No, exactly what you're saying. Like, I had those same thoughts of like, if there had to be one person else that also saw that, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but I think it, the way that it's, the way that it's acted by Elizabeth Moss mm-hmm. sells it. Oh, to, and the time, way, yeah. and the way the effects use that yeah. sells it enough to be like, that was probably fast enough that like, you know, people would, 
and and that's the thing too is that people will shush it away of like ah trick of the light trick of the camera yeah maybe the camera did something or whatever right right um but let's talk for a moment about about what what does the bible say like about trauma and comfort mm-hmm. i know i'm just kind of throwing this at you yeah yeah but then ultimately the film ends with in an unhealthy way of vengeance and revenge yeah so what does then the bible say and how does the Bible, how does God speak to vengeance and revenge? Mm. Why don't you go ahead first? If I could collect my thoughts, if you have any. Well, I was just going to, I was mostly going to like point back to my book recommendation mm-hmm. is that like her character is going through deep traumatic sorrow. And and obviously this film, this film never, and what I, what I enjoyed too was that it doesn't like try to pull in religion like a lot of horror films right. do. It doesn't, it just doesn't. Like Lee Winnell just knows who he is knows what he wants to do knows what he wants to tell so he doesn't try to fake and pull in religion Mm. or a priest or anything like that yeah and her character never seeks that comfort Mm. um but there in every single chapter of the book i recommend to join the sorrow yeah they talk about the body of christ and how the Mm. lord has supplied the body for a reason and i've been going through first peter and learning how to suffer well. Yes. And I've been I've been simultaneously going through Ruth very slowly. Mm-hmm. And and I've watched as read as in Ruth how the Lord meets Ruth and Naomi's needs of food and family. Nice. And yeah. how the Lord himself supplies sufficiency. Yes. And so like I keep thinking about trauma and I keep thinking about PTSD and abuse and how like ultimately the healing comes from the Lord being sufficient and allowing the body to love you. Like there's a, there's a sentence in that book, join the sorrow where, where the man who lost the stillborn baby says like, and men showed up at my home to sit on my couch and hold me as I cried. Yeah. And like, that's not something we read a lot as for men, Mm. you know? Yeah. Um, no, but but I was just going to say like, but then as it comes to vengeance, like I just always, I just, the scripture that comes to my mind as I think about my life is vengeance is mine, say it the Lord. Mm. And that the Lord has called us to be people of peace, to be people who live above reproach and, and how the high road is, is not easy because it's the one the Lord has called us to. Yeah. Um, the Lord has called us to suffer well and to be people of peace. So that way when, when unbelievers look at our lives, and I'm thinking through First Peter right now, chapter one when unbelievers look at our lives they should see Christ they should see his example an example of something other set before them yeah. and how um, you know Job I think a lot through Job and learning how to suffer well through Job and also Joseph mm. how Joseph could have had every right by every means in the world's eyes to be like well screw you dude screw you my brothers yeah yeah but he didn't right tested them and forgave them and yeah. set forth something excellent yeah definitely. Um, but then i think too about rahab mm. and how the lord used her and her shame and her potential suffering to house the spies yeah, yeah. and set forth something great right and so those yeah mm-hmm. I, I was gonna i was I had the vengeance thing, like, I'm 100% with you. Like, that is not ours to be had. It is spoken mm-hmm. forth, and we look forward yeah. and know. And, and that's what we mentioned that because that's the message kind of that Invisible Man puts out there is that, like, right. well, go get revenge then on your abuser, your attacker, the, the cause of your trauma, whether it's a person or a place or an idea. Like, go get revenge right. then. It's okay to go get revenge. Yeah. Where scripture would say no. Yeah, and I think those like a lot of times you see there was recently one that was a few few months back about um you see like those videos on like Facebook or whatever about a, a man forgiving like a murderer or, like mm-hmm. an abuser or something mm-hmm. or whatever it is and there's always opinions about it but I think there is although you see those a lot and like you might think that they're cheesy or you might think they're just doing it for attention I think that there's weight to be had there because you know what you were forgiven from yeah so what does the forgiveness look look like when you show somebody yep Mm -hmm. and the lord will have his vengeance he is a faithful just god that will do what he said he is going to do right um so why do we worry about what we have to do right you know you know we are we are as believers we are called to love god love others and go and make disciples of all nations 
Yeah. And teach them to do the same. Right. And we're called to turn the other cheek. Yeah. Now, I, I don't want to put out there like, well, if you're in an abusive relationship, stay in it. Right. That's, yeah. Stay there, stay in the house, stay with them. Right. No, go seek help, but then seek reconciliation for There's, as yeah. long as that takes. There's a if difference. If you have to move right. out for a time, move out, but seek reconciliation. There's a difference between being hurt and just mm-hmm. taking it. And seeking forgiveness after finding safety. I yeah. think there's something to be said right. there. So. And the re- and again, the reason we're talking about this is because this movie, in all of its greatness, technicalities, greatness, structure of the story, great, well-written, excellently written, above average acting. The acting is probably the weakest point in the film, but it's not terrible right. by any means. Um, the message at the end of the film of The Invisible Man is that it's okay to seek revenge and it's okay to have hatred and it's okay to feel these this way as long as you take care of it in your own way and ultimately this is how you will feel good and yeah this is and you'll only feel good by making the person who hurt you feel awful right and that's not what jesus did exactly you know jesus forgave on the cross forgive them they don't know what they're doing yeah and how many times did he say that to his apostles like you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Understand. Like, let's have compassion. The compassion of Christ is he sought provision for people that only wanted things from him. They didn't want him, but he still sought their best. Yeah. Um, other than those things, is there anything else you want to say about The Invisible Man? I don't think so. I think it's still worth seeing from a movie standpoint. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the message, I think, is you should at least understand what it looks like to be faithful and to... S- to seek forgiveness rather yeah. than revenge. Yeah, so. I would say if you're if you're wanting to go see a good film, mm-hmm. go see this. It's a good film. Yeah. Um, but know that know that this film is highly triggering. Yes. Um I was I was messed up for hours and hours after it. Like mm-hmm. couldn't stop shaking. Like it was it was terrible. Like I probably shouldn't have seen it. So if you're going through trauma or deep sorrow, yep. don't see this. Yeah. Yeah, this is one of those things where don't see it. Wait till wait till you can sit in the comfort of your home with a red box, right? And and people around you and a nice comfy blanket and like be comfortable, yeah. Rather than going and sitting in a cold movie theater in the dark with strangers, right? Um, I agree. I but agree. if you have someone to go with you, like Alex and me, I went with our friend Tom. We mentioned him a yeah, lot. Yeah. But I went with Tom to go see it. Still, probably should have waited till it was red <laughs> box, but. I was just really wanting to see a movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but The Invisible Man, if I had to give it a score, it's like an 8 out of 10. Yeah. Lee Wanell, I'm excited for his horror and film career. Yeah. Um, Which he's done a lot more than I realized, just not directed yeah, necessarily. I'm, I'm excited for his solo directing career yeah. to like be on the rise here. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Invisible uh, Man. It's worth watching, I think. In theaters now, go yeah. see it. It is worth your time. Yeah, definitely. But be careful. Yeah, 100%. moment you've been waiting for have they well i was trying to do like a movie trailer thing oh yeah. never mind it's, I, try it start over okay take two all right the moment you've been waiting for the one you've been waiting to listen to i've been talking sorry Gosh, <laughs> all right it's just it's kyle's unpopular opinion all right <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't know you were gonna do that. No, it's alright. It's alright. Right. I'm just. I'm a. I ruin people's lives. Yeah. Well. Anyway. Anyway. The, this one. This one might cut deep for some people. I think cut deeper than some of your other ones. Ooh. I think so. Really? I think so. Oh. Because okay. I think Christians hold this a little bit more dearly. Oh. Okay. Okay. I, yeah. I see where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah. So my unpopular opinion right now. Not right now. It's something I've held for a while. But mm-hmm. my current unpopular opinion that I'm going to share is that the Passion of the Christ. Is propaganda. Hmm. Is is near just propaganda filmmaking, and I don't think Christians. I don't think it's actually a film worth watching. Oh, <laughs> Easter, Easter, Easter weekend. What are we gonna watch? What are we gonna watch? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> so I'm just. That's what everybody's gonna do. I know. So. Right? <laughs> what do we watch on Friday night of Easter weekend? <laughs> Not Passion of the Christ. 
Why don't you just read the book of John? <laughs> Jeez. Because that would take too long. <laughs> take I'm, just, you like, I'm just being it'll American. It'll take you like 40 minutes. Yeah, I'm just being American. I know. And, <laughs> take you like an hour to read the book of John. I was going to say, it'd be hours, less time. It'd be less time for you to read the book of John on Easter weekend uh, than it would be to sit and watch a propaganda film. <laughs> oh, no. All right, go, let's hear it. Before people are triggered and they stop listening. <laughs> They're so. already triggered, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I just, I think that because I saw... Passion of the Christ when I was about 16 and it was at the church I was attending at the time and I was just sitting there like thinking why are we watching this what benefit does this have to my life <laughs> like like and I'm not saying that it's not it like film as a film like I think it's shot beautifully I think there's wonderful acting um, that's about it <laughs> like I, I find it to be propaganda in so much as the way that the church has now used that film and like showing clips of it to teenagers and being like, and how dare you sin? Like you're saying your sin is better than that. Look at Jesus on the cross. Yeah. Like, look at that. And I think that that is, that is, that is straight up manipulation mm. and that is not what Christ is for. Yeah. Um, and I just think that there's also a grace given to us by the sovereignty of God, to be able to be believers without having to have seen our Savior die. Mm. I think that is a merciful and gracious gift that all we have is being able to read about it and go back historically to know that crucifixions actually happened, that it wasn't made up, that we can, there's, you know, historical proof of, of the way that Jesus died. But I think it, it is a great grace gift given to not have have to see it. Yeah. And and like so I and I'm not saying that images of Christ or depictions of Christ are bad. Right. Saying that like this one, the passion of the Christ, is just propaganda. Mm. Yeah. I could I could totally see where you're coming from. Now, my question would be like, does the movie have any sort of value at all for for a christian for a christian i would say no okay because again like i'm i'm hinging so hard on that grace because the film lingers on the violence the Mm. film will linger on the whips and the chains and like it tearing apart his flesh and there's close-ups of um jim caviezel who played jesus just like in agony and just despair and and like that it's just a grace that I don't have to see that. Yeah. Now, what about what about the the people that will say like that it's in a historical account so that we can account like our depiction uh, so that we can see what the weight of the suffering for the for a perfect man looked like. So we should be able to. So we should watch it because it it helps give us a better perspective of what it looks like for Jesus to suffer. I think if you need that. Like the, I think I think if someone needs that, that's a different discussion. Ah. But when I think about when I think about that, is not reading four different accounts of his perfect life, death and resurrection and ascension enough? Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. Like to to need a film about this. It's to me. I I don't feel the same way about like D Day or anything like that. Just because there's too many films about it. Like mm-hmm. stop making films about it, Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. it's like there's a grace, and a mercy, given to those who who, without having to have seen Christ, are able to believe in Him. Yeah, and I I say I ask you that question, because I think that a lot of people in the culture, at least the culture around us would rather go to something like that than look to God's word to seek uh, understanding or truth mm-hmm. and things like that. Right. Just actually see what the suffering meant. Right. And I think that's where that's where also the film lacks yes. in so many areas is that the scriptures were, will foretell the suffering and the scriptures will foretell and tell you in depth what the imagery is and what things mean and why Jesus is going to do these things. And they'll give you insights from other men who were with Jesus into how this is happening and why he's doing these things. And like 
the film glosses over the importance of some things. Yeah. And the film kind of feels like it skips right through the importance of Christ's godhood. Yeah. And 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 it and it skips right into his manhood and, and it's just like this man is doing these things and look at him. Yeah, and I think if you listen to Mel Gibson talk about the movie too, right. he is he talks about it from like a a view of Semitism or Ju- Judaism. Um, and like, because that's kind of what he was interested yeah. in. So by that account, that is kind of, right. that would be what they would have seen it as, mm-hmm. you know, the man yeah. that is doing that. And I think my, uh, still a huge issue for me in this film and why I just, I just won't show it to people yeah. is that I just think the church has used it for propaganda. Oh yeah. To, con- to force, to manipulate people into feeling guilt and shame, which is not, which is what Christ died for. Yeah. Christ died for our guilt and our shame. He died to cover our sins and he died so that we might have a chance mm. and at forgiveness, at being with God and glory in heaven. But he did not die so that we might be feel guilt and shame. So the next question that I would have would be, what about like any historical or like um, outside of a Christian perspective like mm-hmm. is there any historical uh, warrant to this movie to the fact that like you can watch it for a historical perspective but you shouldn't watch it if you want to see like um, cr- what Christ actually gave up his life for his purpose of giving up his life things like that I think that's a stretch okay um, but I guess yeah like I would say okay it'd be it in the re- like when I think about that I think in terms of like watching like a, a World War Two war movie or something like that. Like you just want to see a depiction of what history looks like and don't necessarily like the people that are within that. But movie. I struggle with that because I don't think that's why The Passion and the Christ was made. Exactly. Oh, I, I agree. It was made, like you said, with Mel Gibson wanting to explore Judaism mm-hmm. and, and how, how Jewish culture looks at Christ. Yeah, yeah. Now, how about, what about unbelievers? Unbelievers that see this... Um, what are your thoughts in regards to that, whether it is um, what things that you would say to them after they see this? Or um, is there any reason that they should see this? Or I don't want to come across like I'm saying that God can't use this film, because yeah. he definitely can. Right. Um, he could use any film to teach anyone anything. Yep. But I personally just don't think that unbelievers or people should watch this film in, in searching for the answers of who Christ is. Mm-hmm is and was yeah um so if an unbeliever came to me saying like hey i watched passion of the christ last night i'd be like hey like, well what kind of questions do you have right like i would want to know their questions before we got into a conversation yeah about it um and and take it from there i'd put the ball in their court like what what did you think mm-hmm. not about the film but about what it was saying and right. then like what kind of questions do you have yeah um yeah but i would never sit down i would never be like with a group of unbelievers who had questions be like well let's watch the passion of the christ right so what about well actually before i say this it's funny that you bring that up because today me and kyle were planning on talking about like pure flex movies and stuff like that we're gonna save it for a later date but here's a here's a look into that conversation they're bad If you didn't already know that, which I guess people don't know that, sorry, I'm get, I'm, I don't want to start in that driver trail. Get back on track. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but there was one guy that um, I met that is he's a friend of mine who came to Christ. Uh, uh, he came to faith in Christ because of God's Not Dead, and I had to start being careful about what I talked about those movies around him because and that's and that's, and that's similar to the, like that's similar to this film here is right. like. I fully believe in the sovereignty and almighty power of God to use anything at all to bring people to saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. Yes. I will stay that way forever. Yeah. But I just have, like, what's the word I'm looking for? I have, like, apprehensions about the passion of the Christ because of the way that God's people have used that film for the past decade and a half. Mm. I agree. As propaganda. I mean, like you look at any Easter Sunday mm-hmm. video or uh, Easter Sunday countdown that a church would use or something right. like that. It's always got pictures of that in there. You know? Exactly. And yeah. so, like, I I'm gonna say it again. I've said it like 17 times in this segment. But like, the grace of God is sufficient, and there is mercy to being born in 1994. Mm-hmm. So that way, I knowing 
you know, whether you're an Arminius or Calvinist, I'm both. Yeah. <laughs> of like, I chose God and he predestined me to choose him, but he also predestined me to be born in 1994, not, you know, 18 years before Christ. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to see that happen. Right. There is a grace, I think, to anyone who came to saving faith in Christ without having to have seen him die. Right. And I think that there is something to, to say about the faith that comes with that aspect, too. Like, you, you didn't see any of this happen, but we have biblical accounts. So how faithful do you have to be? Right. You know? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's you have to be faithful because that's all that it really comes to. Um, faith is what ends up being, like, the defining point of Christianity today, even in some instances more so than then, because they mm-hmm. many of them witnessed what was happening. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, is there any? Th- I have one more question, but it's slightly unrelated okay. to kind of your point for this. Is there anything else that you wanted to say? Um, no, I just want to ask what, like, what do you guys think? Yeah, like I want to know what you guys as listeners think about the Passion of the Christ because I'm sitting here saying it's propaganda filmmaking, and the church has turned it into even deeper propaganda, guilt and shaming people into stop sinning mm. rather than discipling coming alongside of and praying through people's sin issues and struggles with them and like checking up with people on a daily basis and feeding them scripture yeah it's a look at this look at this picture of jesus on the cross watch this scene of him being whipped how dare you right and i think that is poor shepherding i think that's poor discipleship and i think that that's poor teaching yeah and i i I agree. I think if you're going to, if you want to learn about Christ and learn about who God is, you don't do it. And there's a film. there's grace to to having to believe. Like I believe in this, and I believed in Christ's death and resurrection before some man put it to film. Yes. Yeah. I I, I agree. Yeah. And I think I still like struggle with it. Cause I re- I think it might be part of my nerdiness that likes mm-hmm. the. I like hearing the Aramaic, and I like seeing like some of the the pictures of what it would look like at that time and things like that. But I agree; I don't think that there should be any reason to view this movie for salvific or understanding Jesus more or, or anything like that or sanctification. Yeah. yeah, I I agree with you there. So what's your what's your off topic question? So this one is this one is something I think might be directed towards you, and I'd be curious at hearing your response. So that you've talked about films like Mother mm-hmm. and like Noah, both mm-hmm. Darren Aronofsky, yeah. um, films that you at least you like or at mm-hmm. least appreciate, yeah. But you don't like this movie, mm-hmm. and obviously there's a lot of contention. Let's specific if we're specifically focusing on Noah with mm-hmm. like oh like the rock monsters or whatever you call them right. and things like that and what's his face right. being on the ship and a lot of it is hallucinations or hallucinogens and drugs and stuff. Right. What is your response if people are like, well, I don't know if your opinion, even even that being said, an opinion, but your thoughts on this movie are valid because you like a movie like Noah. What would your response be? And my response would be, Darren Aronofsky did not set out to depict truth. Mm. He set out to depict his version of something and what he thinks about things. Mel Gibson and that team set out to depict truth of Judaism. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And so like when Darren Aronofsky created Mother, he was creating his depiction and how he views God. Now he viewed creation. And he's interpreting the entirety of scripture. And you see how one man interprets the entire Bible. Yes. Noah, he, Darren Aronofsky came out and said, we don't know a lot about Noah. It's very, it's like 11 verses in the Bible. Yeah. Like that whole account is a chapter and a half maybe. Right. And so like there's a lot left up to interpretation there. What were the Nephilim? Right. How did Noah build this thing? What kind of help did he have from God? How did the flood even start? It said the rains came down, but like, was there cracks in the earth that shot water up like spouts and fountains? Like, we don't know. We weren't there. Right. And yes, Darren Aronofsky took liberties with Emma Watson's character and like everything that could have happened on the ark because we don't know. Yeah. And so when I say that like there are films like those that I appreciate more, it's because they're not out to say, here's truth. Yeah, they're out to say here's what I think about this thing that a lot of people claim to be true. Yeah, and I think that more people are often apt to go see those films mm. than they are to see now. Passion of Christ made a, like a lot, a lot of money. A lot of people went and saw it. Right, because it was 
claiming to know the truth and it was claiming to proclaim here is the Christ. Yes. Yep. And the, the rest of that, there's more to, to say about that, but we'll save that for another conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that question leads into the discussion also about pure flex. Yeah, I think so too. So, mm-hmm. well, Kyle, you might have made some people angry. When don't I? <laughs> like, when, <laughs> when don't I make people <laughs> upset and angry? I have to bring a clarification to last episode about Birds of Prey. Oh. I said Steve Rogers when talking about Steve Trevor. Really? Yes. I oh, got I when I was talking that. about Wonder Woman and how Wonder Woman's better feminism than Birds oh, of Prey. She, I said she Steve, loves Rogers. Steve Rogers. Well, Kyle's mixing the universes. Yeah. And <gasps> so I just need to apologize to Chris Pine and Gal Gadot and Patty <laughs> Jenkins for confusing your Steve with the with the firecraft oh, no, 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 that is Steve Rogers. You're, we're losing listeners right now, Kyle. Turn the mic off. All fourteen of them? <laughs> this might um, be the one. So there's two unpopular opinions. Yeah, yeah. But Passion of the Christ, I fully believe, uh, has been turned into propaganda filmmaking mm. um, and is not necessarily worth watching. Mm. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us on this really random episode. It wasn't much cohesiveness to it. Yeah, just got um, together. Go read Matt Chandler's Join the Sorrow. What is it? The Sundering of the Trinity? Yeah, I just don't bother reading that one. <laughs> the Tripping Up of the, the tri- Trinity. <laughs> Who's Tampering of the Trinity? Miller J. Erickson, but watch Watchmen instead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Invisible Man in theaters now. Be careful with that film if you decide to go see it. Right. Um, maybe don't take someone you know struggles with anxiety. Yeah. Do not take them to see that movie. So good, yeah, good Passion call. of the Christ is uh, propaganda filmmaking. Uh, as always, you can find us over <laughs> on Twitter at the Critical Millennial. Um, we want to know your thoughts on all of this. All of this. <laughs> yeah. uh, mostly, I'm mostly curious about your thoughts on my thoughts. I would love to hear Passion it. of the Christ. Yeah. I'll um, sit back and watch the tweets come in. You'll so. sit. You're like that uh, Michael Jackson <laughs> eating the popcorn. Like yeah. yes, yes. Um, uh, be sure to join us next time where we have a discussion about the awful awfulness that are that is uh, Christian filmmaking. I'm so excited. All that and so much more. If you follow us on the Critical Millennial, see you around, guys. Bye. Bye. Oh my gosh, the critical millennial!